like me. What's happening here? Oh, pardon me, folks. I was playing video games. I just realized I'm in a webinar. Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. And thank you for joining us on this uh, Wednesday night Alberta Prosperity Project webinar entitled, very controversially, I might add, Will Daniel Smith Become Alberta's Iron Lady? It's a very good question. So first of all, uh, put this up in the comments, please, everybody, if you know the answer. Who is the Iron Lady? When we ask if Daniel Smith is going to become Alberta's Iron Lady, who are we referring to? I'm not going to tell you right away. I'll let you put it up in the comments. I want to point something interesting out about these two Iron Ladies. Well, the Iron Lady and potentially Iron Lady number two. They both battled a Trudeau. So the OG Iron Lady in uh, Britain, by the way, there we go. The correct answer is coming up. Margaret Thatcher. Uh, she had a bone to pick with Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau back in the late 70s and early 80s. And actually, if you come to the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta, you'll find a McLean's magazine from 19... Oh, boy. I can't remember if it was 79 or 1980. But it's got a cartoon picture of Margaret Thatcher facing off with Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. And the um, the article in there was absolutely fantastic. It, it, it's, there's so many parallels between what's going on today. So if you don't believe history repeats itself... Um, come to the Whistle Stop and check out that McLean's magazine. Although I won't let you take it out of the protective case anyway, because it's almost as old as I am. And even I'm falling apart and my body repairs myself, unlike the magazine. So let's get right to it. Uh, tonight we have some amazing guests with us. And if you don't already know, uh, they are Mr. Jeffrey Rath, who is a outstanding lawyer who has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dina Hinshaw in court with our friend Layton Gray. And uh, Dr. Dennis Modry, who has not only held people's hearts and lungs in his hand, but now uh, he's been on a mission to try and do some transplant surgery and transplant some sovereignty and uh, freedom back into the province of Alberta. So welcome, uh, Mr. Rath, and welcome, Dr. Modry. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you guys both back together it's actually been quite a while since we've we've been able to do a live stream together. Yeah, it has been too long. But too now long. that the election's over, we can start getting really into it again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, it's time to roll up our sleeves and get back to work. I actually started working on a on a Substack today and the uh, the title of the Substack is that uh, the UCP Alberta election campaign uh, 2027 starts today. So, and I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind is that, you know, we need to take the page out of the book of the U.S. Democrats and the, uh, and the NDP and that, uh, you know, you need to start campaigning four years in advance and lay out a strategy and, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, make sure that the socialists don't take control of this province and completely destroy a place that we all love. Absolutely. And I want to just chime in on that note. Uh, Jeff is absolutely right. Campaigning starts today. And our duty as citizens to be civically engaged in politics, it also starts today. Actually, it started a long time ago, but we're going to continue it today. And part of that is being able to separate fact from fiction. I mean, over the last three years, we've all heard lots of things about different politicians, different government. It seems like nobody is ever satisfied. Nobody's ever happy with changes, uh, whether they're big or small. 
And I think part of that is because we sometimes we imagine the world look is can only look a certain way for it to be good for us. And that's not accurate. So we have to start paying attention, uh, really digging deep into this stuff, separating fact from fiction and then uh, acting on that by holding our politicians accountable, which is exactly what we're going to do in the next four years. Very good. So. Are you guys happy with the election results? What did you think? Well, if, if I can chime in and then I'll turn it over to Dennis. I said, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled with the election result. I mean, one of the things that I'm the happiest about is the influence that rural Alberta now has in the government and cabinet. Obviously, um, uh, you know, the um, flushing of uh, a lot of the old Kenny cabinet ministers uh, that deserve to go like Shandro and Copping has made me, has delighted me. Um, you know, I was actually reading a silly article in the Calgary Herald today where they're trying to claim that all of these wonderful cabinet ministers like Shandro and Copping, who went down to defeat in Calgary, um, were flushed by their constituencies because of Daniel Smith. And of course, yeah. you know, from perspective, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Shandro and Copping, you know, as you know, as the health ministers who literally turned Alberta into a medical dictatorship under Dina Hinshaw were the two worst, most, in my personal opinion, the two most incompetent health ministers that uh, uh, that Alberta has ever seen. And the fact that uh, many conservatives stayed home and didn't turn out to vote because they couldn't stomach the idea of voting for Tweedledee and Tweedledummer in Calgary didn't surprise me at all. And any attempt to blame losses in Calgary on Daniel Smith as opposed to some of the despicable policies of Jason Kenney and all of the, the cocktail cap, the Sky Palace cocktail cabinet, uh, you know, is complete foolishness. I don't know what Dennis's thoughts are. I'll kick it over to him, but that's certainly, those are some of my feelings on the issue. <clears throat> well, yeah, Jeff, I, I agree. Um, you know, it's well understood if you look at the uh, data uh, and the studies, international studies of our uh, Canadian healthcare system that it functions in the lowest uh, quartile of quality at the highest quartile of cost. Um, and to a large extent, it has to do with uh, people who make feckless uh, decisions um, or who are feckless and make poor decisions uh, and really don't do anything to fix the, uh, to fix the healthcare system. And I, uh, I believe you're, you're correct that um, the, the two health ministers uh, really didn't do much, but you know, Neither did um, the NDP uh, health minister when she was uh, in charge either. This has been a long-term problem, this particular one, and a lot of it has to do with the Canada Health Act, but there's a lot that can be done. But I digress. You know, um, uh, when I think about the election, um, I, I think about a, a few things. Uh, and Jeff, I think you're right. I don't think the full conservative vote was out there. If you look at the Elections Alberta website, uh, the number of eligible voters were, was 2,840,924, but only 62% of the eligible voters actually voted. And I think that wow. makes the point that, that you, know, you were stating, Jeff. Um, now, here's something else that I think is really quite relevant uh, before we talk about the Iron Lady. Um, if you look again at the website, um, the Elections Alberta website, there were 15 parties that were competing in the election. 
of those 15 parties, um, if you take out the NDP uh, and the UCP, that left 13. But of the 13, eight were independence parties. And if you look at the outcomes, and I predicted this um, a long time ago, only they only got all eight independence parties got 1.8% of the votes collectively. And predictably, they didn't elect one MLA. So there should be a message to the independence parties. If they want to have a meaningful role, if they want to elect some MLAs in the next election, there should only be one independence party. Now, I agree. The point, the point that I'm getting at here really is that there's no guarantee that any independence party is going to get elected. What I'm delighted about with the election is that we have a UCP government with key players, including the premier, that to a very large extent are, um, agrees with um, many of the policy proposals that the Alberta Prosperity Project has been educating the public about for the last year. Um, and they're on record of saying they want to take control of policing, pensions, immigration, employment insurance, and provincial tax collection. Um, they're on record, even as late as uh, Daniel Smith's acceptance speech the other day, that she is going to stand up to Ottawa. Now, if that is the case, and I'm hoping that it is, it'll be the first time in 118 years that anybody, any premier and any provincial government in Alberta actually has the cojones to stand up to Ottawa. But that seems to be the case and the battle lines are being drawn uh, regarding our energy sector and the, and the baloney of, uh, I mean, climate change, sure, climate ch the climate is always changing, but what, what's false is the, you know, and I've said this many times and many people know this, but not everybody believes it. Um, the climate isn't changing primarily because of what humans are doing. It's changing because it's always changed. So in any case, I'm, I'm quite encouraged because I believe that, um, uh, that Daniel Smith and this UCP government is going to implement policies and do things that actually has the potential to protect our individual freedoms, rights, and prosperity and self-determination. Well, uh, yes. So I got to stop you there. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned Daniel Smith's name in the same sentence as the Alberta Prosperity Project. Yeah, this yeah. must mean that you're working for this premier. You're working for the UCP. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. What I'm saying is, is that the UCP government likes many of the policy proposals that APP has been educating the public about. And this government, I believe, does want to be empowered uh, through a secession referendum, not necessarily to leave because they've got the Alberta Sovereignty Act within a united Canada. Um, but nevertheless, um, as, you, as you know on this call, as the three of us know on this call and for many of the listeners, bottom line is, is that this provincial government, if they're going to protect us, they have to have uh, serious negotiating power. And right now they don't have that. They don't have the ability to change the constitution, but they could have. 
And uh, that's where the Alberta Prosperity Project comes into play. And that's why Daniel Smith and many UCP MLAs like what the APP is doing. We're, of course, we're a nonpartisan um, uh, organization. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that any party can't adopt and get in front of the parade, the movement that we're creating. Which and, and just pin on that, if I can, Chris, one of the reasons that I'm really happy about the you know, Daniel Smith government being elected is Daniel Smith has proven that she's willing to listen to the people of Alberta in terms of what they have to say and what they, you know, and, you know, what the aspirations of the province are. I don't think at a personal or philosophical level, Danielle Smith has a major issue with asking adult Albertans the question, you know, do you want to remain in Canada or do you want Alberta to carve out a much more independent role for Alberta within Canada? We've already had a referendum um, to do away with equalization payments coming out of Alberta that the previous government did nothing about. You know, I personally believe that you know, on a, on a personal basis, that Daniel Smith is probably the most likely of any politician that's ever been elected in this province to have the guts to not be afraid to create a negotiating position by Ottawa by passing, even passing legislation that says that we have to have a referendum on independence every five years so right. that the government of Alberta, you know, can take the temperature of adults in this province on that very important issue, you know, as an example. Some of the other policies that I don't think that Daniel Smith would necessarily be philosophically opposed to, you know, are changes to the Alberta uh, curriculum and actually teaching science in school as opposed to teaching, you know, politics, which is what all this climate change nonsense that they've been trying to teach our kids is. I mean, no, you know, they can't, none of these so-called climate scientists that are running around saying that the earth is going to end in 10 years if we don't shut down the alberta oil and gas industry can explain for a minute what caused the last ice age so mm -hmm. to that how can we believe them when they say you have to live in 15 minute cities and you're going to make the oceans boil if you drive your pickup truck down the highway to go to work so it's you know, interesting I, you know, they, so they... I honestly think that one of the things that all of us need to be asking our mlas to do and pushing our premier to do is to take a hard look at the role of ATA in teaching politics rather than science in our schools and getting a grip on our curriculum. And I'll just finish one point on that and then I'll, I'll turn it back over to this general discussion. But the other thing, you know, I was talking to one of our other board members at APP on the curriculum point, and we're pushing for the schools to be teaching, you know, um, units on uh, Alberta's place in, in the Federation and how Alberta relates to Canada in the context of fiscal federalism. And we need to start teaching our students in our schools what a raw deal Alberta has gotten from the outset of Confederation in effectively being a colony for Quebec and Ontario, where all of the wealth of this province is ripped away and sent to Toronto and Montreal, where, you know, even present day, Quebec, thanks to the $10 billion a year that Alberta siphons into Quebec, um, they have a they have a, a surplus budget, and Alberta's running debts and deficits because we're sending ten billion dollars a year to Quebec. You know this needs to be taught in our schools instead of all this left wing nonsense that masquerades as science. But you know those are just a couple of you know, a couple of thoughts I'd like to throw out there, and sort of in keeping with the idea that you know election twenty seven starts today.
I, I, I completely agree. And what, what you said there, Jeff, is right now in our schools, um, the governments have made a point of removing religion, religion from schools. They're removing God from schools. And, and there's some schools that, you know, they'll offer uh, historical Bible courses, whatever. But for the most part, they've removed it. But they've introduced the religion of climate change into schools in lieu of. So it's uh, it's a very interesting point you made there. And I just want to ask Walter, uh, who's uh, helping out in the back. Thank you very much, Walter. If you see some questions come up with the three question marks there, go ahead and pop them up on the screen. And uh, Jeff, Dennis, and I will do our best to answer them as they come up, because I've seen quite a few come up. So uh, don't be shy and get the questions up there as you can. So what, what do you think about that, Dennis? Well, I, I just, Jeff said. yeah, no, I agree with exactly what uh, Jeff said. I, I also am not pleased with, in terms of changing the curriculum, there should be no education regarding the grooming of kids uh, regarding gender. Um, I, I think that's wrong as well in the, in the school system. But I want to talk about 2027 because that's important. That's the date of the next election. And I agree that the um, campaign needs to start now, but there's something else that needs to start now in terms of 2027. We are facing the WEF UN Agenda 2030, and it should be preempted by the um, Alberta Free Agenda 2027. And I think concomitant with the next election, and I believe, I believe that, uh, that uh, the UCP government um, is going to have a dramatically increased number of MLAs in the next election. I think, I think this government under Daniel's leadership um, is going to be very strong and, is, and it's going to be demonstrably better uh, for many people. But I think um, we're going to be also facing the WEFUN agenda issues. And she's already on board of saying she's not going to sign on to the World Health Organization, um, uh, you know, mandates in, in terms of them controlling our healthcare system. Um, she's already talked about um, not going along with the digital ID and a central bank digital currency. How that all plays out, I don't know yet. But at the end of the day, if push comes to shove, um, you know, she will, she will have the ability on her own to either, uh, well, to, to ask for a mandate from the public to negotiate from a position of strength anytime before 2027. But we as APP, we can get registered, you know, some 560,000 to, to 600,000 um, individuals who are willing to support a referendum on on independence, then Jeff's petition that he's already drafted in 2026 or 2027 can go to Elections Alberta, get certified, and we've got the votes um, for the petition, but then we need the votes for the referendum. So, but, so, but, so I, but, I just had the idea of 2026-2027 as an Alberta free agenda so that we can preempt the uh, the WEFUN agenda 2030. Well, and let's be clear, anybody, you know, anybody that has Danielle Smith's ear and can, you know, and, and can talk to her. And Danielle's remarkable. I mean, I understand that she actually, unlike Jason Kenney, attends all of her constituency board meetings, 
you know, in Medicine Hat and actually listens to what people in her constituency has to say. So, you know, one of the things that I would urge anybody that has, you know, Premier Smith's ear, you know, is to, you know, tell her not to listen to people that are suggesting that the reason we lost seats in Calgary and Edmonton was because we weren't woke enough or, you know, we were too far to the right because what's really going on, you know, we lost seats in Calgary and Edmonton because a lot of conservatives couldn't stomach voting for, you know, the Casey Maddows, Tyler Shanros, Jason Coppings of the world, and they stayed home. I mean, I think the numbers that Dennis was pointing to, you know, earlier speak to that. And any suggestion, you know, that, you know, the party needs to be somehow reconciling with, you know, socialists who follow the WEF agenda, and that's most of the Kennyites, including Jason Kenny himself, you know, allowing AHS to become a WEF partner and all of that nonsense that gave us the garbage we suffered through through COVID, you know, Danielle needs to disabuse herself of the idea that somehow moving more to the middle or moving, you know, to adopt a lot more of these woke WEF policies are what's going to win for us in 2027. You know, we need a strong independent position. We need to be able to, you know, the they need to be able to explain and articulate why, you know, all of these policies are nonsense. But we certainly shouldn't be apologizing to them or for one second, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, acknowledging for a second that these positions are extreme. I mean, if you want to look at extremist positions, you know, look at the hidden agenda of the NDP. They wanted to defund Catholic education. They wanted to defund private school education so that you take education choice away from Alberta parents and leave 100% of the school curriculum in the hands of the left-wing Alberta Teachers Association. They wanted to bring back unionizing family farms and making mom and dad management and making all the kids that work on the farm unionize labor, paying union dues. Their, you know, their money from the family farms would go to fund the NDP. You want to talk about extremism, that's extreme. Absolutely. You know, have a public debate about policing or a public debate on whether the, uh, you know, whether we can have a made in Alberta pension that operated better and provided a better return to Alberta. These are legitimate public policy discussions. They're not extreme. But the NDP, the NB, NDP socialist platform, that's extreme. Yeah. And, and we can't be embarrassed to say that. And we've got to elect candidates that are willing to stand up for it instead of all the mealy mouth, you know, mealy mouth, let's try to get to the middle crap positions of people like Casey Maddow, Tyler Shandro, and, uh, you know, and uh, Jason Copping, who all properly went down to defeat because conservatives couldn't stomach voting for them. There's another, there's another thing there, Jeff. Um, you, oh, I lost my train of thought. You, you mentioned that conservatives didn't come out to vote. And something that I noticed over the last little while in politics is conservative politics have become much less conservative. It's like people are almost embarrassed to be conservative or right-leaning in today's world because they get violently, well, maybe because they get violently attacked by woke mobs and then arrested for it. But I find that, and and I hope that the premier can, can nip this in the bud. I find our conservative leaders are pandering, trying to get votes from a woke mob that's never going to vote for them by sacrificing their conservative principles and ideology and kind of dipping their toes in the wokeness. And we see this more and more, like we like the, the federal CPC 
they're they're a disgusting example of this. They have pretty much abandoned their conservative principles, and they're not much different than the than the Saint Trudeau Alliance. But bringing this back to will Daniel Smith become Alberta's Iron Lady? That's what I think. I think if if Daniel Smith can 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 stand her ground and support the conservative ideals that got her elected twice, um, she can she can do this. But if she constantly capitulates to the woke mob attacks on other conservatives, we're going to have big problems. Yeah. Let well, me, just to, sorry, just, just to jump in on that point. Yeah. I mean, everybody says it's the old phrase, elections have consequences. Well, the consequence of this election is rural Alberta stood with Premier Smith and say it's time for the adults in the room to take control of the mess that this province was drifting into. And, you know, and by, you know, this is by the conservatives in the city staying home and not voting for um, Kenny candidates that needed to be booted. Right. We now have an opportunity to, you know, to get Alberta back on a solid footing, you know, without pandering, you know, to the middle, because that's not the way forward. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Jeff. Let me give you um, and the listeners a backstory here that I think um, <clears throat> speaks actually to this um concept of Iron Lady. So you guys, I think, have heard me say this before, but there was a time many years ago uh, when Peter Pockington owned the Oilers and he'd bring a famous person over and um, for a certain price, you could sit with that person at Peter and Peter's home at, the, at a round table with 12, uh, 12 uh, seats. And um, one of the people one year that I attended was with Maggie Thatcher. So I had dinner with Maggie Thatcher. Um, and in that conversation, we talked about an interview that she did. I believe it was with Pamela Wallen. And um, uh, she was a great storyteller, but and, and re regaled her relationship about her relationship with uh, Ronald Reagan. But in the in that conversation, the Falklands War came up, social programs in London, and some economic point was being made. And uh, Pamela Wallen asked her the question, well, didn't you think to compromise? Well, Maggie Thatcher uncrossed her arms, uncrossed her legs and said, compromise, I hate compromise. Compromise implies that both parties are wrong. Now, before Danielle even ran, about March or April last year, after we started APP, she came to visit me in Edmonton and we spent three hours having dinner and my wife was with me. And I told her that story about Maggie Thatcher. And I asked her a question. I said, are you a value and principle-based leader or are you a poll-based leader? And of course her answer was, well, I'm a value and principle-based leader. And I said, well, okay then, because um, if it is the case that you decide to run, and if you become elected as the leader, you could become the Iron Lady if you don't deviate from your values and principles. And so my belief is, and I refer to her in my own communications with her in text and email messages, I refer to her as the, as the Iron Lady today. And then we'll discuss whatever the point is to be discussed. So I think I think there is a potential for her to become the Iron Lady. And she gave a little bit of a clue to it in her acceptance address the other night when 
she basically said to the federal government, you will not adversely affect our energy sector. Not those exact words, but that exact meaning. So I, I think she has the potential to become the Iron Lady um, and time will tell, right? But I think, so it's important, I think it's important people, you know, Jeff and Chris and anytime anybody has an opportunity to get a message to her is to remind her about values and principles and what it takes to be the Iron Lady. And, you know, she should be, she should right now be totally armored against vitriol because she had so much vitriol come at her during this election campaign. If she can get through that with grace and dignity and elegance and competence with, in communication, she can become the Iron Lady, in my I, opinion. I, I think the NDP ran one of the dirtiest election campaigns in Alberta history. It was lie after, lie after lie. It was mis, you know, it, you know, it was, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, misleading statement after misleading statement. And let's be really frank: a lot of that was being also being fed by, you know, actually actual members of um, the uh, UCP and people that were running as MLAs for the UCP that were running, you know, but while quietly tell, and I'm, I've heard of half a dozen of these stories that, you know, through close friends and contacts that I trust that are quietly telling, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Once we're elected, we'll get rid of her. So she's being lied about and attacked by yeah. the NDP. She's being undermined and actively attacked by members of, of you know, of the Kenny wing of the, uh, of the UCP. Thank God, most of whom went down to defeat. So, you know, what I'd like to remind, um, uh, you know, what I'd like to remind uh, Premier Smith, you know, is that, you know, that Margaret Thatcher and the Conservatives that supported Margaret Thatcher had a really fun word for those members of the party that didn't support their values and principles. They called them wets, <laughs> right? And they said, yeah, we don't need to listen to a bunch of wets. And I mean, that's what, you know, Danielle needs to get in her head is that, you know, she doesn't need to govern listening to a whole bunch of wets. And, you know, and MLA, MLAs like, um, uh, you know, the, like um, uh, uh, the Nixon that was actually elected, um, you know, don't need seats in cabinet. They've proven themselves to be disloyal. They've been working in the background to undermine Danielle Smith on behalf of the Kenny wing. Uh, you know, I'm speaking specifically uh, Tom Oldfield about Jason Nixon right now. Uh, you know, Jason Nixon doesn't deserve a seat in cabinet. He needs to be relegated to the back benches. Um, you know, unfortunately for Rocky Mountain House, you know, sundry, they shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have a cabinet minister. There's adjoining uh, constituencies that could be well served by having cabinet ministers appointed in constituencies adjoining. But someone like Jason Nixon, who has proven to be untrustworthy, who's a, who was a hatchet man for Jason Kenney, who literally caused <laughs> Miranda Rosen to go down to defeat by bringing in that stupid K-pass idea that just irritates everybody in Banff, Pananaskis, no end, right? Um, you know, Jason Nixon has proven that he's not, you know, he doesn't have what it takes to be in cabinet. And, you know, as one of Kenny's wets should be left on the back benches where he belongs. And I don't think I can say that, you know, any, you know, any more clearly. You know, keep in mind, Miranda Rosen lost by 200 seats to, you know, to a socialist from, you know, socialist environmentalist from Canmore. And if Miranda Rosen had stood up for her constituents, 
who've been hiking, biking, riding their horses, you know, on K-Country trails for decades, who are all irritated about that stupid K-Pass that Jason Nixon brought in. If she'd stood up for her constituents, she wouldn't have lost the election. No, she stood with Jason Nixon and the Kenny wing of the party, and, and she went down to defeat. So, you know, people need to keep in mind that, uh, uh, you know, that these, you know, that these people aren't, don't necessarily have what's best for the, uh, you know, best for the province in mind. And that stupid K-Pass of Jason Nixon's brings, he only brings in $9 million a year, right? They could have made up that $9 million a year by firing 30 executives at AHS making more than $300,000 a year and have money to save. And we would That's have gotten a bad idea. I agree with you. I'm gonna, and this kind of goes along with the previous question that Walters just put back up. And the question is from Marsha, are there any fears of a party revolt from within among those MLAs who do not have strong allegiance to Daniel Smith? Of course, of course there is. I mean, we watched this unfold a few months ago. Um, there was a few MLAs that threatened to resign if Daniel Smith uh, made a certain political move. And I, I would say that yes, there there always there always is a fear of a party revolt within conservative parties because that's what we do. We eat each other. But what we've shown over the last couple of years is that when people show up and when we work together, we can change things, right? I mean, we we had a premier resign. We've we've had MLAs resign because the people are showing up. So regardless of what those potentially sleeper cell um true NDP backing UCP MLAs want to do or whose knife they want to put, uh, whose back they want to put a knife in. If we stand up with those people together and we take over our constituency association meetings and, and we're present, uh, that becomes much, much more difficult to do for a small group of Kenny loyalists who want to return the party to what it was before. I think. Yeah. And, and my opinion on this is that I think the probabilities of, um, uh, caucus revolts are slim to none. Um, definitely potential, but but I think extremely slim. And 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 why I say that is because, you know, uh, many of the people that were running um, um, for the UCP were well aware of the threat from the NDP. Um, and uh, I think all of those who have been elected are very thankful that um, that uh, they were elected, that they're elected to form government. And the leader of all of that was Daniel Smith, is Daniel Smith. So, so you know, I, I think the uh, level of gratitude um, for um, and, and, and the desire to come together as a cohesive government, because, you know, think about it, as, as pointed out earlier, campaign 2017 or 2027 starts now and um they've got to show a united front they've got to govern brilliantly and they've got to govern in a way in which it's clear to everybody in this province that their prosperity and self-determination and individual freedoms and rights is are, are being protected and that this province is being protected and i think that that they will galvanize their support there are many mlas that i know of personally that are very supportive of Danielle. So, you know, we'll see what, we'll see what happens, but. Uh... And just to jump in on that. And again, it gets back to my earlier point, you know, the great news about this election is that a lot, all, a lot of the wets got flushed, 
right? Yeah. So got rid of, you know, a lot of the toxic Kenny era Sky Palace cocktail cabinet. Taves resigned, um, you know, Copping and Chandro got flushed as they deserved. Um, you know, we've gotten rid of a whole bunch of those people. Yeah. And now we have a rural uh, base of this party that's stronger than ever, you know, both um, in terms of having elected the premier. And I think there's a big value in, you know, in, in, in politicians reminding, you know, being reminded to dance with the one that brought them. You know, yeah. and I think you know has every right and reason to govern for, govern for the base of the party, which is you know which is now predominantly rural, and uh, and at the same time make inroads into the cities by putting forward principled positions and exposing the lies that are being told about the NDP about how they intend to govern. I think if people in the cities understood what the NDP was really planning to do to this province when they were elected instead of just spewing all the Danielle Smith lies about her, make, you know, putting in, uh, you know, pay-for-play healthcare and all this other crap. Um, if people really understood how bad the NDP would, you know, and all the horrible things they're planning on doing with us, nobody would have voted for them. I mean, people would not have been voting against their own interests. Like, any parent that understood that the, uh, you know, that the NDP is an example, um, you know, we're going to take away their right to have meaningful input into the psychological health, well-being, and welfare of their children within the school system, um, you know, would be up in arms if they understood, you know, that the, you know, that the NDP want to remove any ability of parents to have any say, um, you know, over the health and well-being of their children, uh, you know, in schools, and have teachers making health decisions with children in the absence of the knowledge or consent of the parents. I mean, you know, there's a lot of communities. They understood that. There's no way in hell they would have voted for the NDP. You no, know, the NDP's policy is so bad they literally had to lie about the other parties to try and get fear votes. True, that's the state right. of affairs of politics in Alberta. There was an interesting editorial today, um, and the essence of the editorial was that the um, that Rachel Notley and the NDP have hit their high water mark, never to get there again. <laughs> That was an interesting uh, editorial. Who, who wrote that? I guess I missed that one. Um, I've got it somewhere. I'm not sure. I was reading it on when I was looking at MSN Canada, and it was it was just an editorial that came up. the the point that The point that I'm getting at here is that when you when, when we look at the Calgary map, um, you know, and we saw that orange centrally, and in Edmonton it was virtually all orange. I really don't think that's going to be the case in 2017 or 2020. I keep saying 2017, but I mean 2027. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be because, um, and maybe I'm just an optimist here, but it, 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 it's because I see uh, the UCP government governing in a very different way than when Kenny was the premier, um, much more communicative with the with the uh, with the public. Uh, Danielle has already said that, you know, um, uh, she'd like to uh, repatriate the pension plan to Alberta, and there are many excellent reasons to do that and none not to do it, but she said she would have a referendum on doing it. So, so what we're, I mean, and she doesn't need to, she can just do it if she wanted to, but this just informs me, and it speaks to what you said earlier, Jeff, that, you know, she goes to the CA meetings in her writing, um, and 
and um, and I think that she really wants to govern for the people. But but sometimes the people don't know, to be honest with you, um, what to do to increase their freedoms and prosperity. And this is where I think her government can play a major role, and APP can help facilitate that. That's when we need leadership, not poll hunting. Well, no, that's that's right. And I mean, the other thing that we should be doing, you know, we should all be doing is do our own damn research, right? And yeah. you know, and on top of it, we should insist on some investigations in terms, you know, in terms of how um, this election, how the NDP funded this election, because I think we really need to look at some major election finance reform, you know, following this election. Given, you know, given you know all of the rumors about, um, you know, the. Uh, um, you know, American Democrat Party, all these uh, U.S. Uh, special interest groups, you know, funding packs through the unions. I see a question how much the unions gave NDP. Yeah. Oh, something else that should be looked at. One of the things that I'm concerned about is the unions have been dogging the money, claiming that, the, you know, whatever donations are going into the party are individual donations from individual members out of the 10% that siphoned off their union dues. I mean, all of that... You, each individual union should be treated as a corporation and they should be limited to the, you know, 17 or $1,800 in political donations that any other corporation is limited to in this province. So you know, I think there needs to be some major, um, you know, some ma major campaign finance reform and, you know, the NDP needs to, you know, needs to, you know, have, uh, you know, it's funding drastically um, uh, reviewed in a transparent manner in terms of who's been funding all of this nonsense, because I suspect there's been quite a, a bit of money flowing into the NDP from U.S. special interest groups that want to shut down oil and gas development in the province of Alberta. And if yeah. the truth ever came out, that there would be the ND, even NDP supporters would be rioting in the streets about this. I mean, this is not. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but when it comes to unions, don't the union members have to first go through the process within the union? Uh, democracy or oligarchy in order to get things like that done like if the union members want to see where the money's going they actually have to get involved and make that happen within the union it's not the government that does it is it no well that, that's exactly right but i mean overall i mean that whole you know the involvement of uh, you know of unions you know in alberta politics needs to be looked at you know because quite frankly you know a lot of what the unions have been doing for the ndp need to be looked at as donations in kind the other thing is, and this was an interesting thought that I had reading um, uh, ethics, the Honorable uh, Madam Tressler's ethics report, you know, where she's she says that any any um, action taken by an MLA to benefit a private third party is unethical. Well, you know, for good, you know, for God's sake, I mean, you know, Rachel Notley sleeps with the bloody union. So, you know, how is it that we don't have an ethics report about Rachel Notley? And the degree to which everything that her party does, every individual MLA, Rachel, Rachel Notley herself, is not on behalf of individual union members whose private interests, um, you know, the NDP and Rachel Notley are moving forward, uh, you know, to, uh, to impact, you know, positively. So I think, you know, that also needs to be, you know, is something that needs to be looked at. And uh, there needs to be a legislative decoupling you know, of the NDP, you know, from the cash, uh, from, uh, you know, from union dues and union cash. Yeah, I, I think and that's... With the majority government, there's no reason not to do it. And if the NDP doesn't like it, they can take it to court and we can litigate it for the next five years. 
Another issue that uh, that I think requires some redress, uh, particularly going into the next campaign, and that is the media itself. Um, now, you know, everybody on this call supports uh, the alternative media and doesn't have much use for the legacy media. The question is, is how do you, how do you, how do we control the legacy media? Um, you know, With our wallets. Well, yeah, that's that's one thing, but they're they're funded through taxpayers' dollars in many instances, right? I'm trying to bring this around to where I know we want to go with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, I know Pierre Polova wants to uh, defund the CBC. That would be an interesting, uh, good outcome, and maybe that would be the segue into fixing other uh, legacy media's as well. But I. Well, know Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, all of us here support Rebel News, uh, True North, Western Standard, Counter Signal, etc. Um, but um, they don't get to the majority of the public yet. But maybe they will. You know, the other the other thing that needs to be taken a look at as well is you know how much money and support was funneled into you know the NDP in Calgary, you know through the federal Liberal Party, you yes. know. Like, one, you know, one of the things that needs to be looked at is the continued outsized role that uh, former Mayor Nahid Nenshi plays, uh, you know, in Alberta politics. And I certainly know, talking to various people in Calgary, that, you know, that uh, Nahid Nenshi was running an NDP, you know, courtroom, you know, in, in the varsity constituency that, you know, that have to be given credit. They were very, very effective in getting out the vote to defeat Jason Copping and getting out the vote to defeat, uh, you know, other cabinet ministers in Calgary. But given, you know, Nenshi's close connections with, uh, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau, and for all of us that remember, you know, the horrors of, uh, you know, Trudeau coming to Calgary during COVID to, you know, get, uh, to have Jason Kenney lock us down harder and faster with Mayor Nenshi, you know, raising his hands and screaming about how the world's going to come to an end. You know, that whole connection between Nenshi and the Trudeau Liberals needs to be investigated. And we need to have some serious investigation as to what level of support um, you know, the Nenshi War Room was being provided, you know, from outside of the province, whether, you know, it's money in, you know, union money in Toronto or Montreal or wherever the hell they were getting the funding to do what they're doing. You know, and again, to me, I think we need to have a serious look at, um, uh, uh, you know, funding in Alberta and quite frankly, outlaw um, any extra provincial or, you know, or extra national funding of any election endeavors in the province of Alberta. Alberta elections should be for Albertans, you know, not for, you know, not for special interests, you know, in, uh, you know, in Ontario and Quebec that want to maintain the status quo and keep Alberta, you know, as a colonial vassal state of Eastern Canada. Yeah, yeah. It's almost well, like we need an iron lady here. Well, <laughs> and, and I think I... I, I believe we, we very likely have one, and we'll have to see how it goes. Um, so if we you, want it, though, we, we got to support her. Absolutely, absolutely. And call her out when she's wrong. That's also important. And, you know, and certainly I think that we need, you know, we, we need to have some real transparency in and around, you know, election funding, donations in kind, um, you, know, all the, you know, all these types of things, right? I mean, you know, if people, you know, if people are donating any money whatsoever to any electoral endeavor, whether it's a third party advertiser or whatever it is, you know, 
that needs to be public and we need to know where that money is coming from. And quite frankly, you know, union funding of, uh, you know, as I've already said, one of the big reforms that needs to happen is any money coming from a union should be limited to the same amount that corporate donations are limited to. Yeah. You know, single payer, 17 or 1800 bucks, and that's it. You know, enough is enough. One of the things I that I wonder about, when you look at the Elections Alberta website, you, you, uh, you can see who made contributions. The question that I have, though, is are all of the contributions that are made, are they uh, captured and reported to Elections Alberta? That's a question. Well, that's a real issue, and I think we need to strengthen our, our transparency laws. Because yeah. certainly as, as union members go, individual union members who you know either lost their jobs or were put on leaves without pay or whatever it was because they wouldn't get vaccinated you know during the uh, uh, the covid public health mismanagement crisis in this province you know and you know uh, and the, where the unions wouldn't grieve their uh, you know their uh, their claims wouldn't support them you know Rachel Notley supported people being put out of work because they wouldn't get vaccinated none of those people want, would want their union dues going to support the NDP. And I'm sure there's lots of other union members who think it's complete anathema that any of their hard-earned money goes to support, uh, you know, uh, the policies of Rachel Notley, uh, you know, that are completely, you know, you know, completely extreme and completely insane. So, you know, individual union members need to be allowed to opt out of having their union dues support any political party. And there needs to be a mechanism being put in place for that. I yeah. agree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hijack this train. I'm gonna put set it on a different uh, track here. So, Dennis, this one's for you. With electing Danielle Smith and her, um, you know, quite seemingly ballsy plan to actually stand up for Alberta with the Sovereignty Act, uh, including repatriating our our uh, pension, uh, Alberta Police Force, and the such. Why do we need the Alberta Prosperity Project right now? I mean, we elected the UCP government. Everything's fine now, right? She says she's going to stand up to Ottawa, and she says that we're going to we're going to do all these things. So, so why 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 are we still working with the Alberta Prosperity Project if everything's roses? Yeah, I think it's a, it, it's it's a good question. Well, the reality is is that um, we're not sure right now. We don't believe we have a plurality of individuals in the province that embrace, uh, for example, uh, taking control of policing, taking control of pensions, taking control of immigration, employment insurance, etc. So that's an educational component. And the Alberta Prosperity Project, of course, is an educational project. Of course, it transcends just those things and includes educating the public about the history of, of, of why we're in the mess that we are. It includes educating the public about what's coming with the WEFUN uh, agenda and the World Health Organization agenda if we do nothing. Um, there's a lot of people that are uneducated about these things, uh, uneducated about, well, why have we done nothing about ending equalization since we had a referendum on it? How do we get how do we fix our health care system and deal with the Canada Health Act? What do we do about Bill C-69, Bill C-48? A lot of people don't know about the Impact Assessment Act, but what they see is they see um, um, skyrocketing uh, energy prices, um, you know, and 
a lot of people still are uneducated about the reality of losing their freedom of speech, um, which also is coming. Um, a lot of people don't understand yet what are the implications of a digital ID, a central bank digital currency, and a social credit score. And so APP has a tremendous educational task ahead of it so that the entire Alberta public understands what's coming and understands why, why it is so important to have a referendum on secession to empower the provincial government to effectively restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada and avoid the problems that, that are clearly coming at us like a freight train if we do nothing. So the purpose of the Alberta Prosperity Project now, in my opinion, accelerates because we have a government um, that to a very large extent is aligned with the values and principles and objectives of the Alberta Prosperity Project and vice versa. We're not a shell for the, for the um, UCP, but we want them to embrace policies, our, our recommendations, particularly the recommendation for a referendum on secession. So to educate the public about the, about the necessity for a referendum on secession is not an easy task as, as Chris and Jeff, you guys know because we've been doing this for a year. And certainly APP has a very important research and education role to play, you know, in support of the policies that we believe will help Alberta become an independent you know, and free country. You know, you know, Dennis has often said publicly that everybody needs to understand that if Alberta unilaterally seceded from Canada tomorrow, right, that Alberta would automatically vault to being the number one country in the world for personal GDP or for GDP per capita, you know, in the world. That's the amount of wealth and potential that's locked in this province that is being completely decimated, you know, and frittered away um, you know, by the fact that we're treated as a colonial state by Ottawa. So, you know, APP, I think, has a very important role to play, you know, in terms of, you know, getting that message out, um, you know, educating on Albertans on how badly we're being shafted, you know, by this stupid Trudeau carbon tax that has literally doubled the heating, home heating bills of people in Alberta because we heat with natural gas while allowing you know, citizens in um, Quebec and British Columbia who largely heat uh, with heat pumps and hydro, you know, untouched and unaffected, you know, by these stupid taxes. So uh, Albertans, again, are just being completely hammered by the federal government from on a fiscal basis in a manner that's completely unfair when compared to what's happening in other provinces, given their, their ability to rely on hydro for their electricity. Um, you know, to heat their homes as opposed to Alberta using natural gas. Those are the types of things that APP can pull together research on, can educate people on, because we know the bureaucracy has largely been appointed by the NDP and the bureaucracy isn't going to do it. So I think APP has a very important role to play. And, and certainly we see the APP transitioning, you know, um, to an educational role similar to the Fraser Institute or any of these other great Canadian think tanks where we can provide research and support, uh, you know, to governments that are pursuing policies that align with uh, our aims of uh, having Alberta become an independent nation. Exactly. Yeah. Jeff, exactly. Would, you, would you agree with me 
that it was education or perhaps better better said miseducation that's created the chaos and the situation we find ourselves in now well i don't think we're in a bad position at all i mean but i, I certainly believe that you know the extent that the ndp had this outsized megaphone and had the outsized result i believe with like dennis says this is a high watermark but the outside yeah. result of that was because of all the propaganda being directed at this province by Toronto-controlled media outlets like the CBC, CTV, and Global that certainly do not support a strong, free, and independent Alberta because it's contrary to their interests. Absolutely. So I'm not just say one this. thing, you know, um, and again, the, the educational component is in dealing with the tough questions. So, for example, somebody... Um, might say, well, if Alberta was an independent nation, there would be a flight of business and people out of the province. Well, the reality is, if Alberta is the most favorably regulated and most favorably taxed region in the world, business will flock here because they will always go to the area which is most favorably regulated and taxed so that their business can thrive. So it's, it's a complete um, opposite um, propaganda point that people make um, that there would be a flight of people in business uh, if Alberta was an independent nation. But remember, Alberta could be an independent nation within Canada, or Alberta could be an independent nation with Saskatchewan and maybe Manitoba or, or in the territories and somewhere all of BC. So there's different there's different ways to look at Alberta sovereignty, um, and I think that's that's important for people to understand. We have a big educational task ahead of us over the next three to four years to get us to a point, uh, and maybe it'll happen before that, where we can hold a secession uh, referendum or force a secession referendum, you can be sure that the government will want to be empowered by that referendum. You can be yes. absolutely sure of it. Absolutely. So the reason I brought that up, I'm gonna use the reason I brought that up, Jeff, I got to get this in there before I forget. Sorry. Well, no, no, I, I, was, I, I, want, I, I just wanted to use my prerogative as the Vice President General Counsel of APP to, to declare that maybe we should go into a 10-minute overtime here tonight, you know, given the amount of things you have to talk to. I know you have an announcement to make about the uh, the meeting come up, coming up on the 17th, but I think we're having a good conversation. And, you know, yeah, I want to yeah, no, I, I, totally, I totally agree. If you guys are up for it, I'm up for it. But the reason I brought up education, and I said miseducation, if you zoom out, Apart from Alberta independence, apart from the Alberta Prosperity Project, in this country and in this province, there's a growing number of people who believe in anti-human ideas. They believe that driving their car is a death sentence for the planet. They believe that they need to starve and freeze in the dark for the greater good. They believe that we should be eating crickets. And it's not because these things are truths. It's because there's organizations that have infiltrated our every level of politics in this country and in this province, and they have convinced people that people are bad. So what I'm saying is, when we're talking about being an educational uh, organization, we're not just talking about educating people as to why independence is the path to prosperity for Alberta. We're talking about educating people with the truth of what we should be doing and focusing on to flourish as human beings. And that's a much bigger and broader task, but if you if you focus down in on, on our path moving forward as a province, the only path that makes any sense and the only path that holds up to the truth is independence from tyranny. Yeah. So, so no, that's what human flourishing, human flourishing. This is what Alex Epstein talks about when he 
when he gives his excellent dissertations regarding the fallacies of, of uh, man-made climate change. Uh, I, I was just going to jump in on that, Dennis, because yeah. I, I really think that that's a major part of APP's role is to strongly advocate, as we did by inviting, you know, Alex to come and, and speak in Calgary, you know, to continue to fight back on this ridiculous climate change fraud, because that's what it is, uh, you know, that's going on. I mean, people need to be educated to the fact that the 5,000-year average temperature of the planet is about three degrees higher than it currently is now. And, you know, we started measuring climate with temperatures and recording it, well, the climate was at an actual 10,000-year low in temperatures. All of this is provable. All the climate change people want us to look at is the last 150 years, which is yep. farcical in the context of any true scientific analysis. And yeah. I mean, these types of things that you know we need to be you know educating people on and not being afraid to stand up on. You know, this whole idea that somehow or other the world is going to come to an end. You know, because the climate is going to increase, you know, by one and a half degrees, we'd still be below the 5,000 year average for the planet, even if it did. So, I mean, everybody needs to take a deep breath, realize the sky isn't falling. And when idiots, and I shouldn't even say they're idiots, because I believe now they're not stupid, they're truly evil. But when people like John Kerry say that we need to fundamentally reduce the amount of food that's being produced by this planet, because food culture is you know, creates 30% of the carbon uh, emitted in, you know, in the world. And that meat should be looked at as a delicacy that should only be enjoyed by the rich. You know, we've got to remember that these people have a vested interest. John Kerry is married to the heir of the Heinz fortune. And the Heinz company, I'm sure, is, you know, getting ready to follow John Kerry's lead and converting, you know, food processing plants into making bug paste. So that John Kerry's view of, you know, of global uh, food consumption can come to fruition while making his wife's family billions of more dollars. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about corrupt, evil people literally driving global policy for their own enrichment at the expense of human beings everywhere. I mean, what an asinine statement last week that we need to reduce global food production because it causes climate change. So literally, these people believe that starving people to death fights climate change. And this yeah. is the type of people we're up against, and we can't be afraid, you know, we can't be afraid to call it out for what it is. Yeah, we have to impact when they're dead. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things that I like to always point out, because it puts the whole climate argument into sharp focus, John Kerry has made two or three apocalyptic predictions. Not one of them have come true. But more than that, in the last 100 apocalyptic predictions, not one of them has come true. So, you know, it's, it's a funny thing that, um, you know, uh, what is it? Um, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming. You cry wolf too many times, uh, and then eventually the wolf comes. But in this case, um, you know, let's face it. Uh, the uh, reality is, is that not one apocalyptic prediction has come true. When do people finally wake up and say, you know, the truth about it? The climate scientists that are all over this, people have to understand they are paid to do this. And the WEFUN is behind this. The WEFUN Agenda 2030 talks about, in 2050, talks about the culling of the population. 
So if you if you if you reduce our ability, uh, our energy supply, well, people are going to freeze to death. If you reduce our food supply, as Jeff said, people are going to starve to death. If you give um, vaccines to people that are unproven, um, people are going to die from them. And we've we've seen all of these. We're seeing all of these things play out. So the WEF UN agenda is um, in full force right now, and it's all based on climate change. But you always have to look back and, you know, and I don't like to be even thought of as a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, um, when the WEF and the UN talk about it and the politicians talk about it and the mainstream media talk about it, it must be true. It must be their objectives to do these things to us. Well, just just to jump in, on it. Eh? <laughs> no, no, but hey, I do want to jump in on this because Dennis, I don't think for a second that being talking that we should accept for a minute, you know, that talking about these things makes us so-called conspiracy theorists. I mean, that's why you know, tongue-in-cheek manner, I refer to my Substack as conspiracy facts with you know with Jeffrey Rapp because yeah. the simple fact of the matter is is that all of these things that we're talking about are observable and are true. There is no doubt whatsoever that there is a global agenda on behalf of the WEF who want to pretend that they are somehow an organization dated to the, that are, um, that are um, devoted to the public good, when really what the WEF has always been is an investment club for the super rich that get together yep. in Davos once a year to invite key policy leaders to be influenced or penetrated, to use Klaus Schwab's word, into making word. policy decisions that involve subsidizing the investment schemes of club members, which investments would not be economically feasible, but for billions and billions of dollars of tax dollars being siphoned out of the hands of hardworking men and women into battery, you know, factories and wind farms and all these ridiculous alternative energy ideas that actually cost far more economically to build and operate, um, and that would not be operating, you know, but for all of the tax dollars of hardworking men and women who are being sold this lie about the world coming to an end in 12 years. So you've got to have your taxes raised 50 percent to put money into Elon Musk's Teslas or to put money into the hands of John Kerry's bug factories or whatever it is that they're taking our hardworking tax dollars out of our hands and moving them into on behalf of the WEF investment club members. So, I mean, that's what people need to remember. And then keep in mind, all of the same people that have brought us climate change fraud are all the same ones that have locked us up in our homes, told us the vaccines were safe and effective, and now we have Theresa Tam on behalf of the government of Canada declaring a public health climate change emergency that could only be solved by attacking heteronormativity, ableism, and capitalism in Canada. I mean, this is so, so I got to read something to you guys. I want to show you this. This is an article, um, and it's a quote uh, from Henry Kissinger, and it's February the 25th, 2009. Prior to this quote, though, he said, if you control the food supply, you control the people. If you control the energy, you will control the continent. If you control the money supply, you will control the world. But this is what he said um, on February the 25th, 2009. 
It's a quote from a speech to the World Health Organization Council on Eugenics, okay? He says, once the herd accepts mandatory vaccinations, it's game over. They will accept anything, forcible blood or organ donation, quote, for the greater good, unquote. We can genetically modify children and sterilize them, quote, for the greater good, unquote. Control sheep minds and you control the herd. Vaccine makers stand to make billions from taxpayers' dollars. And many of you in this room are investors. It's a big win-win. We thin out the herd and the herd pays us for extermination services. That's Henry Kissinger, 2009. Yeah, so I'll help Daniel Smith stand up to this. Doesn't, doesn't that just, piss, doesn't that anger you? Why would that surprise anyone? That's the same guy that carpet, carpet bombed Cambodia. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, these people are evil. They're pursuing an evil anti-human agenda and they need to be called out for it. You yeah. know, and if anybody doesn't think that 15 minute cities and all the surveillance cameras and all the rest of it that have become part and parcel of the Alberta landscape, you know, aren't there to, you know, implement these policies you know, without our consent and against our will, they're not paying attention yeah. because that's what's going on. I mean, Oxford, the city of Oxford in England is already in revolt over having been turned into a 15-minute city where people that want to drive to work outside of Oxford are getting fined every time they take the car more than once or twice a week through, you know, through an unauthorized camera checkpoint. Yeah. You know, so, you know, people need to wake up to what's going on because, you know, it's coming here. This last election, I personally believe, was a tipping point for this province. And thank God for rural Alberta that they had the common sense to stand up to the stupidity and drew a line in the sand as to the future of the province and the future of our children. Yeah, agreeable. So let's. Go uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna wager that most of the people watching us tonight probably know of, of these things. They probably agree with us on ninety-seven and a half percent of what we're saying. With that said, what are we to do, Dennis? What are what are we going to do as the Alberta Prosperity Project to uh, foster the idea of human flourishing and get back on a path to prosperity? What what do we do? Well, I think I think what we we do we do have a we do have a comprehensive business plan. We need to execute that business plan. It's expensive, the marketing, advertising, educational materials, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, cost a lot of money. So one of the things that we, we have to do is obviously in the, in the next short term, um, but on an ongoing basis, ensure that we have the financial resources um, to take to get the, the unions message, to get well to get the message to everybody uh, in every forum and uh, every media, every way possible. Uh, so so, yeah, this is this is our hill to die on, guys. And uh, fortunately, I believe we do have a government that is aligned with our mission. Um, I hope I'm, I'm going to take that a little further, Dennis. Yeah. So as a regular, average, everyday Albertan, uh, what you can do, in my opinion, and Dennis, you can chime in on this or Jeff, get a membership in the APP. Why do I say that? Well, as we build this movement, as we build this organization with the goal of educating people as to, you know, the, the freedom through independence and how we can be prosperous and getting some truth out there. There's a lot of people in this province and in this country that have a very, very strong interest in us being prosperous. And they have a lot of money. 
And if they see us doing something like this that's never been done before, if they see us standing as a united front and working together and actually building something, they will invest in this idea. This isn't going to happen by 10,000 people buying a $20 membership. No. This is going to take the same kind of pockets that funded the miseducation in the first place. And I'm not saying the same people, the same type of pockets. Greenpeace, for instance, the Tides Foundation, all of those organizations that have taught humans to hate humans have been funded by billionaires. So yeah. we need to start showing the billionaires who believe in humans and believe in, in, in human flourishing that we can do this so that they are willing to invest in us. That's my opinion. No, absolutely. And I mean, fundamentally, what we're talking about is a multi-million dollar education project that needs to continue to move forward. Because yeah. at the end of the day, all of the things that we're talking about can be demonstrated empirically. You know, as we also need to be investing, you know, our resources in providing legislative support, you know, to the Daniel Smith government in terms of, you know, pointing out what piece, specific pieces of legislation need to be amended and how they need to be amended with specific examples because we know damn well, and you saw it in the Tressler report, you know, Daniel Smith made a request of Alberta Justice to provide options uh, for amending legislation to prevent human rights abuses like you've suffered, Chris, and other people have suffered through protesting COVID in Alberta. Um, and the Department of Justice bureaucrats sat on their hands and refused to provide Daniel Smith as premier of this province with legislative options, to, which you know is the role of the legislature to address um, the human rights abuses that we've suffered through COVID. They refused to do it because they all are in line with the goals of the administrative state in the World Economic Forum. So we need to have the resources to actually, you know, have people drafting legislation, do, you know, do what people in the United States do, draft legislation, provide, you know, private members bills to our MLAs, show them how the legislation should be drafted, you know, get our policy into legislation before the legislature. And I think we have an opportunity to do that. Everybody has to, re you know, and everybody that's unhappy with the way things are running, don't be afraid to reach out to your MLAs. If your MLA is a, you know, is a, is NDP, write your NDP MLA. Tell you what, tell them what you think, and make sure you copy the premier's office, knowing full well that people in the NDP are going to do nothing for you as your elected representative. So and invite so, them to an APP meeting. What's that? Uh, yeah. Invite them to an APP meeting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. I'm, all need to, you know, again, you know, that's sort of, you know, my, you know, my goal here for tonight is to remind everybody that, you know, election 2027, the campaign starts today, and that all of us need to do everything that we can to encourage Danielle Smith, you know, to be like Margaret Thatcher, and to simply ignore all of the wets and to govern like she should. Yeah. Be so, you know, the Iron Lady. That's right. So anyway, I think that's probably yeah. a good Point to end on tonight and yeah. we just want to remind everybody and i'll turn it back to you for this chris but we're having a um a really uh, big uh, meeting coming up on june 17th and i'll let you that we'd love everybody to attend and i'll let chris share all the details with you yeah that's going to be great so that's a app members meeting in Ca uh bowden pardon me uh, i can't remember the, the facility but i think walter's got the poster queued up and he can put it up at any time uh it's going to be an awesome night so there's some guest speakers there dr moji will be there uh, Jeff Rath, some f guy in a strange hat in front of a railroad crossing. Uh, Mr. Leighton Gray, Michael Wagner, and who else is there? Corey Morgan from the Western Standard. 
Yeah. So this this is going to be amazing. Uh, and to top it all off, the Whistle Stop Cafe from Mira, Alberta will be catering. We're going to be doing barbecue beef on a bun. And as a shout out to one of my favorite Swiss uh, folks who's no longer with us, we're going to do barbecue bison on a bun as well. So tickets are uh, 40 bucks for an early bird ticket. And uh, I don't, I can't see when that ends, but we're about three quarters of the way sold out. So get your tickets, get them now. I know there's a lot of questions that come up in the comments here that we haven't been able to get to. Really, the best way to get these questions answered is to come to an APP meeting and catch me or Dennis or Jeff or Leighton or anybody on our way across the hall to go to the washroom while we're doing the dance and ask us these questions. We're more than happy to talk to you face-to-face, -face, although we may have to uh, take a, a quick break from time to time. So please join us in uh, Bowdoin, June 17th. It's going to be a great time, and I will guarantee that the food is going to be great. Well worth the money. Yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, everyone. It's always wonderful to be able to appear on these uh, on these webinars and on these forums. And I'd like to everybody that's tuned in and listened, you know, thank you very much. And we can't tell you uh, how grateful we are for your support of the Alberta Prosperity Project and your support of uh, Alberta sovereignty and independence, either within or without a Canada. So thank you for tuning in tonight. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Walter. Do you have anything else, Dennis? No, I'm, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to um, participate in this webinar. And I'd like both of you thank um, all of the listeners and, and also for their questions. And um, uh, with respect to the event coming up in Bowdoin, uh, I don't know if you know, Chris, maybe uh, Walter can chime in. Is, is there a Q&A that's occurring at that event or what's the plan? Or do we there know? usually is. I didn't. I don't notice on the poster, but I'm. You know, it, it's all yeah. depending on time. But I'm sure there probably will be a Q and A. That's kind of the format we generally follow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So thanks a lot, Chris. Jeff, we're thank going, you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dennis, and thank you, uh, Jeff. We're going to leave you folks with a little clip from something that I believe was a turning point in politics in Alberta. Uh, at one point, one of Daniel Smith's campaign team approached me and said, "Listen, Chris." We know that you're really upset with the UCP with what happened. We get it. It's been a terrible couple of years and, and we got to fix it. What do we have to do to get your support? What do we need to do to get the support of people like you who have been affected the way you have? And I, and I thought about it and I said, I want to see the premier stand up for Albertans and acknowledge real solutions. And I want to see the premier acknowledge that the path forward may be a what else for this province and we're going to show you right now what that what else may be take it away walter quebec for centuries has been minor minority a linguistic minority cultural economic minority but they did something different they had an or else added to the end of it how far are you willing to go are you willing to say we want these things or else? At what stage would you, for example, invoke the Clarity Act as clarified by the Supreme Court? For example, calling a referendum on the Clarity Act question of secession. Do you have an or else in mind? What is it and what would make you use it? And if not, how are you serious? And I, I'll start off with Danielle Smith on that one. 
or else is Dennis Modry and the Alberta Prosperity Project. It's true. We um, proclaimed into law on April the 7th the Citizen Initiative Act, which gives the people the power to collect signatures for a petition campaign to propose a, an amendment. If it's a simple matter of policy, it's a 10% threshold. If it's a constitutional change, it's a 20% threshold. That would mean 600,000 signatures. And as I understand it, Dr. Modri has a million people on his database. So part of when I decided I wanted to run, I knew how important it was to make sure that we address the issues of autonomy. And I talked to Dr. Modri as one of my first steps. I said, let's try this together. Let's get as much autonomy as we can. Full well knowing that he's got the power, you've got the power. If we're not successful, and this is why I take your movement very, very seriously, and why Justin Trudeau should take it very, very seriously too, because you have the power to be able to be the URLs. There you go. The Alberta Prosperity Project and all of its members working towards a common goal of freedom through independence. We are the what else? We are the URLs. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody.